hands. And a guy um, by the name of Steve Stevens pulled up in a car, videoing himself, and he says, see that guy? I'm going to kill him. Gets out of the car, talks to Robert Goodwin Sr. for about a minute, pulls a gun, shoots him, kills him. He posts it on Facebook. Robert Goodwin Sr., 74 years old, Cleveland, Ohio, is killed. Let's say you're his family. How do you respond? This guy, for no reason, pulls up, gets out of the car, shoots your dad, shoots your grandfather, and posts it on Facebook. If you're the family, you have to think of this guy as an enemy. How do you respond to an enemy? In your own life, how do you respond to enemies? Maybe a better question is, how does Jesus respond to his enemies? Last week, if you were here, we were talking about John chapter 13. And in John chapter 13, the, the stage has been set, and Jesus knows that he's going to be betrayed, knows it has already happened, and Jesus takes his 12 and goes to an upper room, and he gets down on his knees and he washes the disciples' feet. He knows in that room there's a betrayer. He knows in that room there's one who will deny him three times. And yet this king, this humble king, what we talked about last week, gets on his knees and he washes the feet of these people. And it's mind-boggling to me that this king would humble himself to that point. But it goes even a little bit deeper. What we're going to pick up in today is continuing in John chapter 13. And if you have your Bibles, you can flip open to it. John 13. Now, the, if you don't know much about the Bible, there's four books dedicated in the Bible to when Jesus was alive. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so the account of what we're going to read today is actually in all four places. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's, they're gathered in, in this upper room. They have just, Jesus has just washed their feet, and now he um, is getting ready to take bread and to break it. And to say to the people, this is my body that has been broken for you. This is my blood that has been spilled for you. Um, we're going to read John's account, but I'm going to refer to some of the other ones as well. John chapter 13, starting in verse 21. Um, and specifically, we're going to ask the question, how is it that Jesus responds to his enemy, to his enemies? After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. Now remember, he's just gotten up. He's just washed his feet. He's just, um, verse 12 says, he resumed his place, reclined around the table. After saying these things, he was troubled in his spirit. And testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at the table close to Jesus. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask him of whom he's speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, 
said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is he whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he gave, excuse me, so when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered him. Jesus said to him, what you're going to do, do quickly. Now no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought maybe it was because Jesus had, Jesus, Judas had the money bag. Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. Let's pray. God, um, I pray for your words. I pray for our hearts to be opened to see how it is that you treat your enemies. God, I pray that um, you will connect this deep in with, within us. In Jesus' name, amen. So when we left off last week, Jesus, like I said, he had just washed the disciples' feet, and then he had resumed his place at the table. And if you were here last week, um, what we talked about was how that would have looked. They reclined at the table. They had a really low table. I was going to do one lower, but then I realized people wouldn't be able to see me. So we have a table about this height, but let's pretend it's really low to the ground. And so Jesus would be reclined at the table. The way that they would do that in their culture is that they would lean on their left elbows. And if you were here last week, I explained a little bit of this. But culturally, your left hand was your wiper hand and your right hand was your eating. So left wiper, right eating. Um, and so they wouldn't eat with their left hand. And that continues in many cultures today. So they'd be leaned on their left elbow and they would keep their feet back away from the table. So picture Jesus, not that in any way, shape, or form I should resemble him. Um, but he's leaned down on his left side with his feet back about like this, okay? So picture Jesus is just kind of reclined at the table. And, this, and a text says that he's troubled in his spirit, but then it says that John, well, it says the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is often thought to be John, but it says that John leans back against him. So if I'm leaned on my left elbow and someone leans back to put their chest, put their head on my chest, tells us, shows us that John is sitting right here. The disciple whom Jesus loved is sitting over here, okay? So then the, the thought of what did this table look like, there's two thoughts, that it would be like a long oval table or that it would be a U-shaped table and the host would sit on the corner, okay? So we don't know which one it is, but Jesus is there reclined. The disciple whom Jesus loved is next to him. And Peter, somewhere where he can catch John's eyes, he says to, to John, he's like, ask him who it is. So John leans back and puts his head on the chest of Jesus. Even just that, like thinking of your head being placed back on Jesus' chest is pretty amazing to me. But he leans, his, leans back and says, who is it that is going to betray you? And Judas says, it is he who I dip the, more, dip the bread and give to. So he takes bread. Luke's account, he takes the bread just before this and he breaks it. And he says, this is my body that is broken for you. Now he takes the bread, dips it with his right hand, 
And culturally, they would place it in the person's mouth. It was called the first sop, S-O-P. The first sop, it would be the first person who, once the bread is broken, you take it, you dip it, the host dips it, and the host puts it into the mouth of the person who he gives it to. Culturally, the first sop goes to the person at the table of highest honor. Jesus, knowing who it is who would betray him, takes the bread, breaks it. This is my body that is broken for you. He dips it and he hands it to Judas. To hand it, to put it into someone's mouth, where would they be sitting? Right next to him. How is it that Jesus treats his enemies? I don't think you can come up with an enemy greater than Judas. He's, he's sat with him. He's been with him for three years. And now he's betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver, which is almost nothing. And he is sitting next to Jesus. Remember that there was a dispute that happened just before this. And the dispute was, which one of us is the greatest? Like we know Jesus is number one. Who's number two? Who's number three? And we know from, um, from the Gospels that at one point, John and James say to Jesus, hey, when your kingdom comes, can we sit to your left and to your right? We know that, that um, their mother comes to Jesus and says, hey, can my kids sit on your left and your right when the kingdom comes? Well, Jesus has ridden on a donkey into town. He has been pronounced, in, in essence, as king. Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And now Jesus has come into Jerusalem, announced as king, and he's at the Lord's Supper, his last supper. And who is it that is sitting to his left and to his right? John and Judas. We don't know, um, we can't assume cultural things. We have to only assume really what's in the word. But if we just slightly play attention to culture, the culture would say that the first sop went to the person of highest honor. And it is the person who will betray him. I can tell you much, much smaller scale being troubled in spirit. Much, much smaller scale. I was um, in sixth or seventh grade, and believe it or not, I was grounded. Almost never happened. But I was, my parents had already told me I was allowed to go to my friend's birthday party. So they, they honored that, that they already told me I was allowed to go to my friend's birthday party. And the party was that we would go to a movie, and then we would go to the rec center dance, where I could get down and jiggy with it. Um, but the, the punishment was that I was allowed to go to the movie, but I wasn't allowed to go to the dance. So they honored it that I was, you're allowed to do this part, not allowed to do this part. So, so there I am at the movie with probably, coincidentally, probably about 12 of us, 12 friends. We're all sitting there. We're watching the movie. The rec center dance is going to start after a while. And they decide, let's go ahead and go. Normally, I would have just gone, known what time the movie came, was over and come back. But I, I chose to not do that. And so there I am, all of my friends have left, and I am sitting in a movie theater by myself as a sixth or seventh grader. I remember being like troubled. It was one of the biggest times in my life where the punishment that I received was like a fantastic punishment. Like it, 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 didn't, uh, it didn't go empty. And I remember the troubled spirit that I had 
being left by all my friends. And I think through Jesus. Jesus knows that all of these guys are going to scatter. He knows that it's not just that they're all going to scatter, but one of them is going to, in essence, kill him. Have him killed. How is it that Jesus treats his enemies? He brings them close. It matches what he teaches. In Matthew chapter 5, he says, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. In Luke chapter 6, if I can find it, I'm going all sorts of out of order today. In Luke chapter 6, it says basically the same thing. Love your enemies. But it also adds... Um, to, that, he, that, that God is kind to those who are evil. Proverbs teaches, and when we talked through Proverbs a couple months ago, we said that really Jesus is the wise one that, that, that Proverbs talks about. But in Proverbs it says, if your enemy is hungry, feed them. And if your enemy is thirsty, give them water, and it will heap burning coals on their head. How is it that Jesus responds to his enemies? He brings them close. He feeds them. That is extremely good news for us. Let me tell you why it's good news for us. Because the Bible teaches that when each of us were born, that we were born sinners separated from God. The Bible teaches that we are enemies of God. And while, Romans says, while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. How is it that Jesus responds to his enemies? He, he seeks to bring them close. While we were yet enemies, he died for us. And, and, and I can tell you in my own life, I wanted nothing to do with God. Nothing. I wanted to live in a way that pleased me and only me all of the time. In that sense, I was truly an enemy of God's. And I can tell you, he drew me close. I assume that many of you probably can, can remember when you first felt Jesus drawing you close to him. And there are, there are people in this room who are, I'm sure that according to the Bible, if you have not come truly into a relationship with him, the Bible teaches that you are an enemy of his. But he draws near. It is good news for us that that is how Jesus treats his enemies. Let me continue on. Um, the Bible teaches in Galatians chapter 5 that there's two ways in which we can walk for those of us who are, who are in a true, deep relationship with Christ. We can walk by the flesh or we can walk by the Spirit. And it says that they are opposed to each other. So that means that myself, that when I, as a follower of Christ, when I'm walking in my flesh, doing what my flesh wants, I am opposed to God in that moment. I am, in essence, 
going back to my former state, making myself an enemy of God again, despite what he's done for me. But how is it that he treats his enemies? He brings them close. Um, James chapter 4 says this, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? So for those of us who are followers of Christ, when we like love this world, and, we, and I'm, I struggle with this all the time, when we want that new car, we want that new house, we want the, the new carpet, or we want a nice couch, or we want whenever we have these things of this, that we really want of this world, when we make ourselves friends of this world, we make ourselves will, willfully, we, we make ourselves an enemy of God. How is it that Jesus responds to his enemies? With grace. He responds with grace. But again, it's not this just this one-time moment where it's like, oh, look how gracious he is. If you go back backwards all the way through Scripture, what do you see? Grace. The fact that God created us is grace. The fact that after we, Adam and Eve, we as man, humankind, after we sin, what does he do? He takes an animal, he sacrifices it, and he gives them clothes to cover themselves because they're naked and ashamed. It's grace. The fact that he kicks them out of the garden is really grace. The fact that he shows up, um, there's going to be a huge flood and he's going to spare Noah, it's grace. The fact that um, he shows up to a guy by the name of Abraham and says, I've chosen your family, and you, I'm going to bless, I'm going to make a great nation, I'm going to give a land, it's grace. The fact that Joseph is sold into slavery, and then there's no food in their land, and they, the, the whole Israelite community can come to Egypt, well, the family of it, uh, can come to it, is grace. Then the Israelites, they're, they're slaves, and they cry out. And God brings a guy by the name of Moses to draw them out. It's grace. And you can keep going all throughout the Old Testament. And, and I, 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 as I was thinking through it, the thing that I wrote is the most shocking thing as you read through the Bible is grace. If I am God, nope. Sorry, I gave you guys three chances. One try, I'll give you, I'll give you, I'll let you slip. Two tries, okay, this is it. If you read through Nehemiah chapter 9, it's a place where um, they summarize like most of the Old Testament. Just real quick, just fly over. You see grace. Multiple times it says, but the Lord is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. If you read through Acts chapter 7, which is when Stephen is about to get stoned and he's, he's, he's kind of preaching, he is preaching, what he tells, the whole story of the Bible when he's talking about grace, the most shocking thing about the Bible is grace. We teach our kids, and, and I probably am no different, that if someone punches you, punch them back. We were having a, a healthy conversation um, with, uh, I, I was having, and our, Sarah and I, and a couple others, with Duke and Amanda, and um, Duke said, uh, 
something like he doesn't want his kids to kill anyone, but he wants that to be an option if, he, if they need to, you know? I, um, I know that there are parents that say um, we don't hit first in our family, but we hit last, right? How does Jesus treat his enemy? He teaches if someone hits you, turn the other cheek. This is shocking. This grace that we see in Jesus is shocking. If we look backwards, we said, if we look forward, we see it. He knows that Judas is going to betray him. He's at his table. He's providing food for him. He's just washed his feet. Peter, he knows he's going to deny him three times. He's just washed his feet. He's providing food for him. He knows all the disciples are going to scatter. Same thing. He's providing food for them. He's washing their feet. We know um, he's going to be put on a cross next to two other thieves. And one of the thieves is going to say, leave him alone for we deserve our punishment, but he does not. And Jesus looks at him and says, today you will be with me in paradise. Grace. Jesus does not just display grace. He is grace. He doesn't just display this grace in a one-time moment, but he surrenders to a posture of grace. Why? You could make the case, well, he can't do otherwise. The Bible teaches that he is love, that God is love. And I've heard people even take it to the extent of, I think it was Ron and I talking the other day, and, he, and someone made the, the case that, well, I know Jesus will forgive me because it's his job. But Jesus offers this grace, right? But I, I want to ask a couple questions. Why does he give the grace? And what is the length of the grace? But we picture Jesus on the cross, right? Just before he dies, what's one of the last things that he says? Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. These people that put him on the cross, that put nails through his, through his veins, that beat him, that pulled his beard, that mocked him, put a crown of thorns on his head, that put a purple robe after he'd been flogged. And he says, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Who's them? John 3.16 says that this is the whole world. Second Timothy says that he desires that all would come to the saving knowledge. Scripture often teaches that he died for everyone, but it also says that it will be many who are saved. So he brings his enemies close. He, he surrenders to a posture of grace. But again, those questions, why? It's not just his job. Romans chapter 2, verse 4 says this, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that it is God's kindness is meant to lead to repentance? 
when, when Jesus is, has Judas at his table, he's urging repentance. When Jesus draws you and I close, he urges repentance. The reason why he, he shows this loving kindness is to lead us to repentance. It's not his job it's not so that we can go on living in any way that we want and then just show up the next week, sorry, did bad stuff. Forgive me. But he draws close to lead to repentance. Romans chapter 6, verse 1 and 2 says this, What then shall we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? There's kind of this thought process, well, if I just sin more, then God gives me more grace. It makes him look even that much better, right? So I can just live like hell now, and he'll forgive me. The rest of the verse says this, by no means. How can we who died in sin still live in it? It is his loving kindness. The reason that he shows this grace, the reason that he brings us close, the reason why he treats his enemies in that way is to lead them to repentance. What happens with Judas? If you know the story, Judas betrays Jesus. There are people who would argue that, that there are some um, discrepancies in what the Gospels say about what happens. Um, one account says that he hangs himself. One account says that his um, insides spilled out. Um, there are many people who are way wiser than I that talk about a law of non-contradiction, which says you can have two things that seem opposite, but they may actually both be true. And so Jesus hangs himself, the rope breaks, he hits the ground, and he spills out. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm not here to try to really massively defend anything other than to say that I truly believe that Scripture is right. Um, Judas, before he hangs himself and spills out, he takes the 30 pieces of silver back to the Pharisees, Sadducees, to the Sanhedrin, I forget the exact group, but he takes it back and he throws the money down. He doesn't want it. Another account says that he buys a field. The other account says that the field is purchased for him. In any case, Jesus t Judas takes the money and gives it back. Did he repent? There is a vast difference between sorrow for sin and repentance. I can feel very sorry about what I have done and yet do nothing different. I would say from what Scripture teaches, Judas did not repent. I think even him coming back to take the money back and throwing the money down, you know what I think it is? I think it's him trying to fix the situation that he messed up. And that's what we do in our, in our own flesh. We, we, we realize that we're not perfect. We realize that we are in need of something to be fixed. And so what do we do? We try to be a better person. If I'm just a better person, if I try harder, if I'm nicer to people, if I go to church and if I read my Bible, if I do all these right things, then, then God will forgive me. And that's not at all what Scripture teaches. But there are people today, 
even in this room, I'm sure, who we're, we're working on our own efforts to try to um, get close to God, to get close to Jesus. He's already doing it. He's already drawing to lead you to repentance. And the other thing that I think can happen in our lives is we trust Jesus for repentance. We trust Jesus to, to draw us near to him. But then once we're saved, okay, now I got it. Now I'm going to try as hard as I can. It doesn't work. Scripture doesn't teach that. It teaches that we die to self. How is it that Jesus responds to his enemies? He brings them close. And that is good news for you. It's good news for me because we often live as enemies of his. We betray him. We deny him. And for those of us who do not have a relationship with God, we are still currently living in a full state of being an enemy of his. And what he does is he brings his enemies close. Let's go back into that story. Robert Goodwin Sr. Shot and killed. It's put on Facebook. If you're the family, how do you respond? Senseless. My dad is killed for a senseless reason. If someone shoots him, puts it on Facebook, how do I respond? So if it's my grandfather, someone shoots him, senseless act, it's on Facebook. How do I respond? You know what the, how the family responds? He's on the run, and the family asks that he turn himself in. And the one daughter says, if he'll turn himself in, I would love to embrace and hug him. And let him know that I forgive him. I would embrace him and hug him and let him know that I forgive him. I would want him to know that he is known by God and loved by God. Steve Stevenson cannot accept forgiveness and he kills himself. I think that Judas could not accept the forgiveness. Whatever it is that you have done, whatever it is that I have done, it is not too far. Forgiveness is offered and the reason is is because Jesus surrenders to a posture of grace. However, I don't believe that that grace continues forever. Today, in honor of thinking through this text, that Jesus took bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body that has been broken for you. This is my blood that has been spilled for you. For us thinking through the fact that we can so quickly be like Peter, we can often even be like Judas. 
if you have come to a point where you have a relationship with Christ, that you have asked Him for the forgiveness of sins, and you've accepted that forgiveness of sins, then you can come forward during the next song. Just pull off a piece of bread and dip it in the juice and you can take it back to your seat. And, and he says, do this in remembrance of me. My challenge for myself whenever I take communion is to remember the fact that I was once his enemy. And that yet while I was his enemy, he died for me. He brought me close. I also remember that I often go to my flesh. Even though, even though he's fixed it, even though it's done, it's over with, I still go back to my former self. And I remember that I still have forgiveness. But the forgiveness is to lead to repentance. I'm going to pray and then, then come back up and do music. And when you're ready, again, if you have bowed your knee before the Lord and asked for forgiveness, feel free to come up to take this bread and to remember how good of news it is that Jesus surrenders to a posture of forgiveness. Let's pray. God, I think of Paul saying, I am the chief of sinners. I think of John the Baptist saying, he must increase and I must decrease. And I think that they would agree that so often, even though we were an enemy and we were saved, we were pulled out of that, that we can still fall back into living as an enemy of God's. That's why I believe in, in Romans chapter 7, it says, I, I don't do what I want to do. I want to do what I don't do. And it's because sin is still living in me. And so God, I pray um, that we would truly, truly, truly recognize your grace. I pray that as we take this cup, as we take this bread, we will do it in remembrance of you and that we will be shocked by your grace and that it will change every aspect of who we are. I pray it in the name that is above all names. It's the name of Jesus.